And cue music. I don't know how many of you have heard, but there's a flesh-eating virus going around. Yeah, it's called music. All right, this is another episode of A-Sides. Andy, what will we be reviewing this episode? This week we'll be hitting The High Women that came out on September 6th. Um, Black Star Riders had Another State of Grace on the 6th as well. Uh, Iggy Pop was on the 6th. His album was titled Free. And then on the 13th, we had Corn and The Nothing was the title of their album. Also, Tom Kiefer Band. I think the title was Rise. And then The Colt had a huge, uh, big-ass reissue of Sonic Temple for the 30th anniversary. So we're going to try to cram all that in. Yeah. It was a big-ass reissue. Also, uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, listening to the previous episode, our first one. And uh, thanks for all the feedback we got, too. So I appreciate it. I'm sure Brent appreciates it. Yes. And anybody that's still listening, then we apparently didn't scare you off too much. So we did something right, if there's actually ears for this to fall on. (laughs) So I guess we'll get rolling. Uh, Maybe worth mentioning real quick. Um, just as a bit of news, you know, obviously the passing of Eddie Money just a couple, couple days ago, um, that was a big hit in the rock world, as there seems to be a lot of, uh, legends just dropping off the map at this point over the last couple years, but figured that was worth mentioning. Uh, yeah, didn't he have, I guess, cancer? Yeah, he had, uh esophagus cancer, I believe, is mm-hmm. what I read. Um, and I'm not really sure. I didn't really read up on the cause of death, yeah. so I guess, you know, just wanted to bring it up. One thing we didn't do last time we talked about doing was uh, having, like, kind of a recap of the, you know, latest in music news over the last couple of weeks, but didn't feel like there was too much going on until that happened, really. So, uh, uh, well, it seemed like there was quite a bit uh, that went on since we last talked. Yeah, uh, Eddie Money, and then there's like a I don't know how you feel about it, but there's a big tour with Green Day and Fallout Boy and Weezer that was announced for next year, and uh, they all have albums coming out. Yeah, I guess I did see that, and it just I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like a huge Weezer fan at all. Green Day, they kind of lost me years back. Um, I don't know. And I I did hear the new Green Day song. And I actually, like, I kind of like it because it sounds totally different. Yeah, like, I only listened to it once, but wasn't it some kind of, like, like falsetto thing and sounded like glam rock more than, like, punk rock Yeah, or it was pretty weird. I don't, I'm trying to think. I mean, I only listened to it once, and I do remember right when it started thinking this riff is a complete ripoff of something, and I couldn't put my finger on it. If I listened to it more, I'm sure I would. But they're no, uh, they're not really any strangers to the whole plagiarism thing because American Idiot had several songs on there where they just blatantly ripped off classic rock songs. Like, you know, I think they ripped off like Motley Crue and Brian Adams all in one song. I can't remember the name of the song, but so I don't know. I mean, it was interesting because, I mean, their formula is kind of. For the most part, they've stuck to that same pop punk thing, you know, and 
it just got old pretty quick, I thought. Yeah, yeah, I totally forgot about that, but didn't, I think, yeah, it was like Wake Me Up When September Ends or something. Was that some song that, that sounded was a like, song I think that, that was one that sounded like somebody else. Yeah, probably. I remember that, that album coming out, and, you know, obviously everybody was really all into it, like it was this great masterpiece, and I bought it and listened to it a few times. I was like, yeah, this is really good. It was definitely their best thing in years since Dookie probably in my opinion but then I realized after a couple listens I'm like yeah this thing is just chock full of plagiarism just Mm -hmm. other people's shit different lyrics written over the top of it I mean you could distinctly hear like one song on the guitar like it was the exact same riff but then they'd be singing this other song over the top of that riff and they were two just blatant rip-offs, you know. So, I don't know. Like I said, I think the new song, I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but that riff was... there. The drum beat and the riff, there was something... I've heard it before, and it just, it'll come to me eventually. Maybe by the time we do the next episode. <laughs> I'll have an answer for everybody. I have no idea right now, though. But I guess my point is, like, yeah, I'm pretty excited to hear if the whole record's going to be totally different. You know, might be a good thing, might be a bad thing. Um, yeah, the Weezer the... one seemed kind of weird. It's called Van Weezer, oh, Jesus, and they said they want to do like a lot of riffs on and stuff. And it it was horrible, like the intro where they do like an eruption ripoff. Yeah, and it's like bad, like it's not played well. I mean, it sounded like yeah. if I tried to play eruption, because <laughs> I'm just not that kind of guitar player at all. And if I was to try to do it, it would uh, it actually might sound better than that. It was pretty rough. I don't know what the hell they're going for there, but it's a mistake, I think. I like that they keep trying to do different things. Like, they're not afraid to try, but maybe their, like, approach is really weird. Like, they're trying too hard or something, because they just did, like, I didn't care about the Black album, uh, but it was, like, way too pop. But they said, okay, we want to do a pop album. Now they're like, well, we want to rock again or something. Yeah, I mean, I but, can appreciate bands that change yeah. from record to record. I mean, there's some bands that have kept the same formula for decades, and it works for them. You know, ACDC, Motorhead, those bands, if they tried to change the formula, yeah. they'd probably just fall flat on the, on their faces, and, yeah. you know, or not. I don't know, but it doesn't work for every band. Like yeah. a lot, it's there's not very many yeah. bands that can just keep putting the same thing out and keep people interested and keep putting out good material, doing the same thing over and over again. Although, uh, my, uh, like, I was never totally into Weezer, but I always heard them on the radio and stuff, and yeah. I kind of listened to their albums, but they were never like a, man, I got to, like, seek these guys out. Yeah. But then, uh, it was like a couple of years ago, they put out some album, like, I think the title of the album is, like, So Long, or something like I can't even remember how it goes right now, but it had some weird looking creature on the front. Man, I don't know. And the single was like Back to the Shack. And I actually liked that album and I liked Was that the Butch Walker one? Was it the one that Butch Walker produced? I remember him doing a record of theirs a while back. He did one a while ago, I think, that was the uh, the Ratitude, because I think oh, it was Okay. I didn't hear that one. <clears throat> now I know what you mean with the Butch Walker thing, because he did produce 
the previous album, uh, Pacific Daydream. Maybe that's what you're thinking of? Yeah, I don't know. I just heard he had produced yeah, one. Yeah, because he did produce that one. And it actually was really good. And I think it was nominated for like a Grammy, too. Hmm. Well, there you go. Which, speaking of Butch Walker, he's producing the new Green Day. Oh, that's right. So maybe that, you know, has something to do with the uh, the new sound, the reinvention of themselves or yeah. whatever they're doing. I don't know. I don't know if the whole record's going to sound like that, but um, that might also explain the uh, the plagiarism going on there because huh. he's just ripping himself off. He's or no, well, he's no stranger to just, you know, blatantly, uh, I don't know. Yeah, ripping people off, I guess. I was going to try to find a better way to say that. Uh, here, maybe he wears his influences on his sleeve. Yeah, that's, that's probably a nicer way to say it. I mean, because, you know, the first couple Marvelous 3 albums have, you know, definite signs of, of yeah, his influences. I'll just put it like that. I don't want to... I'm not trying yeah. to dog on the dude. I mean... You know, sometimes he does it, and it's just really uh, charming. <laughs> like he's so he's so good at what he does that you know sometimes you hear it and you know that it's just a blatant ripoff of some other classic rock song or something, but you don't care because his version's really good too, I guess. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what you're saying is it just depends on the. Uh, whether you like the band or not, yeah, you can I guess the, the copycat. I guess so. I'm being, you know, unfair. But as far as Fallout Boy being on that tour, I can't imagine really caring too much about that one either. That's just a band that I like some of their stuff, you know, yeah. but they have more stuff that I just don't like than what I like, <laughs> you know? And every live performance I've seen, like I haven't seen them in person, but I've seen, you know, live performances on TV or whatever, and they're just fucking terrible. Like, God, they're a terrible live band. They just, I remember them playing some award show and watching it and thinking, God, are they even, can they even hear each other? Like, they didn't even sound like they were playing along with one another. It was a mess. It was just huh. a freaking mess. And I've had other people tell me that they're really terrible live. Like, they saw them live, and they were just horrible. So, I don't know. Maybe I don't want to give them a chance because I know that, you know, it just makes me think like it's all studio. It's not them, you know. Like, it's all auto-tuned, and (laughs) it's all modern technology making them sound good, not the actual musicians themselves and... You want to? Uh, yeah, we can go just, ahead and we can just get right to get it. right to it instead of sitting here babbling about Fallout Boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so I was kind of hyped up for this uh, High Women album in a way. I know Amanda Shires from uh, her husband's band, Jason Isbell, right? Because like we've even seen him a couple times. Yeah. And then I saw her on tour. Uh, here last fall so I was kind of interested in that because I wasn't really familiar with some of the other ladies doing this too so guess I'm not really too familiar with Brandy Carlisle like I know she's got, got stuff that's been on the radio and she was just here in town not too long ago but I can't say I've ever really listened to her yeah I mean out of the four I mean aside from the fact that yeah I'm a huge Jason Isbell fan and have seen her have seen uh, Amanda Shires with him and his band several times 
her solo work is okay. I like some of it. I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, I guess I feel like her voice is better suited as a back backing vocal, hmm. doing harmonies and stuff. Like I don't, I don't know. Not all of her solo stuff I feel this way about, but the first stuff that I heard. I felt like she just didn't sound like she had a lead singer's voice, you know? Like, huh. just something about it. Just the overall timbre of her voice and the character itself. I don't know. But the last record she did was kind of more of, like, this weird kind of pop thing. I mean, I you know? It had, like, this totally different sound, and I actually thought her voice better suited that style. But then, but then yeah, out of these four, I would say, like, Brandy Carlisle, I if just this year, really, I was a late bloomer on her, but I just got into her this year, and then she just was at the Civic Center a month ago or whenever it was, and went to that. It was a really great show. She was amazing. So I was definitely excited as well to hear this when I first heard about it, and I've only heard a little bit of Marin Morris, and the stuff I heard I didn't really... It didn't grab me. It sounded poppier, like, and more polished. Yeah, see, I thought she was, like, a pop singer, because I've only heard her, I think it was some, like, I was trying to think of where I'd heard it before, but I think it might be some EDM artist called Zed, and she did vocals on that, so I just assumed she was more, like, top 40. Right. But looking her up, she's, like, a songwriter on her own, and she's more country. Yeah, and, uh, and that Natalie Hemby... I'm assuming that's how you say her last name. I mean, I don't know any other way to fucking say it, but I had never heard her. I had never heard of her prior to this. And I looked up one of her albums. I can't remember the name of it, and I only listened to, like, a couple songs. And it was pretty good. I meant to actually listen to the whole record before doing this episode, but listening to all this other stuff we're doing, I just kind of slipped my mind, and I never went back to it. But, um... Yeah, I mean, first hearing about this, I thought, ah, this should be really cool, you know, because the only other thing like it is uh, the Pistol Annies with uh, Miranda Lambert and uh, Ashley Monroe, who I'm a fan of, and I actually really liked Miranda Lambert's last record, The Weight of These Wings, and so, you know, I own both the Pistol Annie albums, and I like them, but some of it's like almost too pop at times, you know, like, I don't know, like they're pretty mainstream, you know, Ashley Monroe's not so much, I mean, her albums are really good, um, but I don't know the other girl in that group either, I don't know who she is at all, but I guess my, my point I'm making is that's really the only other thing out there to compare this female country supergroup to and uh, I had kind of high hopes for this because other than Marin Morris I mean I did you know none of these girls were really pop like I mean she's kind of like you said like I thought she was kind of more mainstream pop or something yeah. um, but she yeah has some country stuff and I'm not real familiar with it other than a couple songs that I listened to, and they didn't grab me. And then when they released the single, finally, 
and it was that redesigning women song, I was kind of like, fuck. Now I'm not really interested in this <laughs> anymore. Like, it just did not... I suddenly just didn't really care until the record came out and we decided to, um, you know, review it for this. And then, I, I mean, I'm glad I did because actually there are, I mean, I do like the bulk of this album. I don't know what your thoughts are. I'm going to kind of let you take over because... Mine's kind of the same <laughs> in that way. Like, I don't think like i had like a um a couple hour like road trip so i thought hey this is a good time to just play it and i thought it kind of fit just driving on the road but like the first two songs were kind of what i expected like all four of them i guess trading off vocals right. and singing together and i was kind of like i hope the whole album isn't like this because that would almost it would feel too like, like maybe like forced was, yeah. or something like but then after those first two songs, it really grabbed me, and I kind of liked how they did kind of trade off. Like, each of them seemed to have their own, like, signature song, and then even, like, I went back on Wikipedia and tried to look up the writing credits, and it seemed like everybody did contribute. Right. And they all kind of had those songs together, and then it kind of balanced with the songs that they had, like, individually. Yeah, I mean, I like the <clears throat> the opening track to me the first time I listened to it I guess maybe I was kind of in the same mindset like yeah okay they're trading off so they can all kind of have a turn and yeah. make their point like hey we have four really great singers <laughs> you know but the second time I listened to this record like I didn't feel distracted by that at all like I felt like that song worked really well I felt like the trade offs worked the verses were really good yeah, maybe I was being too critical the first time. Yeah, and I think, you know, I did too. Because you're just, you're first putting it in and you're thinking, okay, my job is to review this. So then you're instantly going in yeah. and critiquing it instead of just shutting the fuck up and listening to the song. And I was guilty of it. So um, the second time, it was like a totally different thing with that first song. And redesigning women following it, you know, it just, I think the thing is that first track is really good, but then you follow it up with this cheesy pop tune thing. I don't even know. I just think the song's dumb. Like, I'm not going to lie. The first time I listened to it, I was like, okay, redesigning women, cute. Where the fuck's Delta Burke, you know? (laughs) Like, why did, if they would have put her in the video, I would have probably enjoyed it a little bit more. (laughs) I kind of liked it, though, in a way, for that kind of corny... Because it's like, what, about driving 80 to feed the baby? And Yeah, I mean, but, it was a playful uh, little ditty, <laughs> yeah. I guess. I mean, they're having fun, and some of this stuff on this album... Uh, I was talking to a girl at work about it, because she's into a lot of these kind of artists and stuff, and I asked her if she had heard it yet, and she said no, and we were talking about it. And I said, really, I just think, like guys are going to listen to this and probably not enjoy it as much as women just because some of the songs are too gender specific. Yeah. Like, My Name Can't Be Mama today or whatever the full title of that song is. Like, I can't relate to being a mom. I mean, I'm a dad and there's days I don't want to be a fucking dad, I guess, <laughs> but um, but I know that's just like a thing that moms say sometimes. Like, oh, I can't mom today. 
I just don't want a mom today. You know, so I'm sure that like women listen to that kind of song and maybe even redesigning women. Maybe they listen to it and, you know, they can relate to it more. So it is more enjoyable for them. I listen to those two songs and I'm just kind of like, yeah, okay, I get it. Whatever. Move on to the next thing. Yeah, because that made me think back too, like along the same lines when I was listening to it, like, because I listened to it like, uh, like at least like three times all the way through. But I thought back to the Taylor Swift album we listened to and how some of those were kind of like female empowerment songs. And I was like, not to take anything away from like Tay-Tay, but like I felt like this was a better example of the female empowerment kind of thing. Maybe she's trying to go for but it seemed to work better with that, like the right. mama. Yeah, no, like, I think that this is probably, this is probably, I mean, they're all, well, I don't know if they're all moms. I know. Brandy Carlisle and Amanda Shires are both moms. I don't know enough about the other two. Um, but, I mean, they obviously are writing from something that they can understand and can relate to. And I don't think it comes off as not being genuine. You know, and actually with that My Name Can't Be Mama song, I like the, it's got like a 60s gospel country vibe. And I really like that about it, you know. I just, like I said, it's just maybe one of those things where if I was a woman and could relate to the lyrics, it would resonate more and I would enjoy it more as, you know, a song other than just, yeah, I like the vibe, but whatever, I'm probably not going to cruise in my car and crank this song, you know. And Unlike I, me. like You were. <laughs> windows down, you're just like, hell yeah, sister. <laughs> Preach. But Crowded Table, I thought, was a song that, you know, was kind of one that was more from the female mindset, more of a, you know, like I said before, gender-specific song. But, like, that one, I think just all around was a more well-written song hmm. than especially, you know, redesigning women. So even though, I mean... It's written from the perspective of, like, a mom that, you know, wants, like, the whole family around the dinner table kind of thing. Like, yeah. how the importance of having the whole family there and whatever. And I think that that one, I mean, I can listen to it and appreciate that and kind of relate to that, too, you know. Whereas maybe the other songs that are written from that specific uh, mindset, that specific mother-wife role, you know. This one's just... And it's just a better song. I guess maybe that's what it fucking boils down to. I'm sitting here trying to come up with something more <laughs> profound to say than that. But at the end of the day, maybe it's just a better song, you know. And I thought Loose Change was one that, even though it was kind of cheesy, I thought it was one that kind of shined a bit on this record. It reminded me of Dolly Parton. That's... That's kind of along the lines that I was going to say, because like, that's one that I wrote down in my notes, and I kind of underlined it, and I wanted to highlight it, because maybe I didn't get a, um, a full Dolly Parton vibe, uh, but going through those Rolling Stones albums, like there was a compilation from, I think her name was Loretta Lynn, and... That's kind of what that song reminded me of, like the sassy vibe of like Loretta Lynn, how she's yeah. like, I don't want to be your uh, um, loose change rolling around in, right. in your pocket. 
No, that was a yeah, that was a pretty solid song. Yeah. Like you're saying, like it kind of has like this playful <clears throat> kind of like it's kind of silly, but it's got the right kind of charm, you know. And how you said the one song was like a '60s kind of or like gospely. That kind of sounded like that '70s or something. Right. Yeah. Like early, early country. I thought that too. Definitely a '70s vibe, and like I said, Dolly Part. To me, it just—I don't know—it just sounded like a Dolly Parton song. Um, well, it's funny you mentioned that too, because that's how I kind of uh, feel about Amanda Shire's voice. She kind of has like a Dolly Parton quality. Yeah, she does. Like it's, it's that. like really high and yep. almost kind of like angelic or something. Yeah. Like she just sounds cute. Yeah. And she is. That doesn't hurt anything either, but but she definitely like you hear her sing and you're like you know she looks cute like you know she's pretty you know yeah like it's like weird with her voice because she sounds the same singing as she does talking because she talked between songs and she's got that really kind of high soft like breathy voice and i'm like is that kind of an act or is she like actually sound like that yeah i don't know but good for jason yeah mad props (laughs) mad props brother So, yeah, I thought, um, you know, one thing, speaking of Jason Isbell, this is one note here. Uh, Dave Cobb. Oh, well, yeah, I was. Yeah. I'll be honest with you, I didn't even look into who wrote what, but um, the song Old Soul was uh, about halfway through the record. And Dave Cobb, that produced Southeastern, Jason Isbell's uh, record, Southeastern produced this album and i thought when that old soul song hit i thought that was pretty interesting because it has like the same slide work with mixed with the haunting violin Hmm. that kind of if you go back and listen to it it will remind you of cover me up like at the end of cover me up how it is well throughout most of the song but the end the slide and everything kind of picks up and if you go back and listen to that song you'll kind of notice that like it's definitely the telltale that Dave Cobb definitely produced this. Like it sound that song sounds like it belonged on that record. Huh. You know, as far as the instrumentation and everything. Yeah, because I've kind of noticed I'm not really like you know, like I'm not totally a country guy. But I guess all these country albums recently that I do like, they're all produced by that guy. Like the Jason Isbell stuff's produced by him. Yeah. Um. Anderson East, I liked his recent oh, album, okay. produced by that guy, um, Amanda Shires, and then now this. Hmm. So I guess what that falls in the like Americana or right. whatever genre. I He's guess. apparently a, an Americana badass. Yeah. So I thought, you know, speaking of Amanda Shires' cute little voice, Don't Call Me was, I thought, you know, it wasn't like one of my favorite songs. It was like a fun kind of cheesy tune too, but I thought yeah. that was the one where... It fit her the most. I mean, she sings the most on it and everything. And I I thought that was kind of the highlight for her. Like, it kind of showcased that, the characteristic that is her, you know, voice. Yeah, because that's kind of what I wrote down. I wrote, shines the most on individual songs. That old soul, don't call me. Right. And then if she ever leaves me. And I kind of like that because of, like, the line about something. She'll drink all the liquor and leave you the ice. I was yeah. like, that's a pretty good line. Yeah. No, there was some good lyrics. I liked some of the lyrics on this. And like One cool thing I noticed, too, about that from the um, Wikipedia page, because I guess I wanted to look up like some of the writing credits 
and like what the backstory was on this album. Um, because as I said, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with a lot of the people other than Amanda Shires, and it actually said that this was her idea because she was on tour or something and listening to the radio, and she's like, "Why isn't there a lot of like female artists on the radio anymore?" So she was talking to that Dave Cobb and. He like got her in touch with Brandy Carlisle, and then it just kind of went on from there. Well, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I did not know that because I was kind of wondering, yeah, how they got together. Well, it's a weird like. I mean, Brandy Carlisle, this Natalie Hemby, and Amanda Shires. I guess I see them kind of somehow meeting up, like playing the same festivals or something. Yeah, because that's kind of what they said too. Was they kind of did a festival thing and they're like, gonna kind of rotate in people, but then instead of rotating people, then they settled on the Natalie Hemby and the Marin Morris. Mm-hmm. I think otherwise they wanted to rotate in others. Because Marin Morris is kind of the oddball out of this, I think, because she's like the pop star. Yeah. I mean, even though, like, yeah, whatever, technically she's country, but you know what I mean? Like, she's more, like, you see her albums at fucking Walmart and stuff. Yeah, the more mainstream, I guess. Yeah. And she's like the young princess pretty one, like all, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, like, you see pictures of her, and she's all glammed up, you know? Like, her hair's done, she's wearing an expensive dress, she's got a bunch of makeup on. You know, and these other girls that kind of do kind of more of a raw, you know. I mean, you don't really see Brandy Carlisle all dolled up. I mean, and I don't know. I mean, Amanda Shires, you do, but she's got, like, her own quirky kind of thing. Yeah. Like, she's kind of silly. Like, she's super pretty and super cute, like we already mentioned five or six hundred times. Yeah, but then, but like, when I saw her on tour... She does these weird things. Like, yeah, she had, like, um, hats like you got, like, like a, a trucker, trucker hat, hat yeah. but it says, like, IP and pools. Yeah, like, she's just <laughs> silly and weird. Like, I don't think she has any intention of going on trying to be a pop princess like Marin Morris, but... Yeah. And maybe I'm I'm not trying to take anything away from Marin Morris. Maybe I need to listen to more of her stuff. And yeah. actually, she... I can't remember what song it was, but there was one song where... She sings and really fucking belts. Like, you can tell it's her because it's clearly not the other three. Um, But she had, like, a real deep, soulful, growly voice on one song. And I feel like an idiot because I'm talking about it now, and I can't even tell you what song it was. But I just, I remember kind of going, whoa, you know. Man, she really sang her ass off, you know. I wish she sounded like that on other stuff that I'd heard which you know maybe she does have some songs where she sounds like that and I just haven't heard them yet but but definitely a fitting I mean you know a nice dynamic to have so she fits this this group and adds something brings something to the table um I felt like the uh the last couple songs on this album was actually two of my favorites that cocktail in a song it's like a ballad. Um, thought the violin was really great. Some of uh, Amanda Shire's violin work, I'm assuming she played it all, you know, was really, really cool on this album. And then I thought, you know, I got to the very last song, that Wheels of Laredo, and my thought was like, well, shit, why wasn't the rest of the record like this? <laughs> like, it would, you know, like if every song was just kind of like that, that style, I mean, I guess because it was more of like a stripped back Americana type 
song, like, yeah. you know, the first song on this album kind of was that way, too. I feel like if that's the first and last song of this record, if everything in the middle was a little bit more like that, I probably would have liked it better. I liked it just fine, but... Huh. But then you might have been like, man, this is all the same. Why don't they do something else? I might have. I might have <laughs> been like, God damn it, why can't they just come up with something catchy, like, I don't know, like redesigning women? <laughs> like, why can't we come up with a title like that and have something poppy? No, nah, I mean, I'm sure they had fun making this, you know. And I guess at the end of the day, they all have fruitful careers where they didn't have to make this record. Yeah. You know? Um, I don't know. Maybe that Natalie Hemby, I don't know how well she does. But, like I said, I don't know much about her, so maybe they really liked her hmm. and knew that she was poor because her records don't sell as many. <laughs> so she's trying to ride their coattails. Yeah, or so they're like, "Come on, just come on in. We'll let you in the group, and let's go, let's go do this record, and you know, we'll finally get you some new wallpaper for your trailer." Or actually, not know. ride their coattails, <laughs> ride the apron strings. There you go, the mamas. There you go. That might be viewed as sexist. Oh, I'm sorry. This was. Yeah, uh, God I'm the one it. offending people this episode. Four, four nice young ladies. Start a super group to empower women. What does Andy do? He just fucking takes a giant shit on it with his sexist comments. (laughs) It's all right. Better you than me. I probably said something offensive last time. Plus, we just started. We've only done one record, so I'm sure I got something in the tank. So let's move on before we say anything else that would offend. Yeah, really. Uh, Black Star Riders. Do you want to hit that one up next? Yeah, yeah. I'll start it off. the The new album. This is actually their fourth album. It's called Another State of Grace, and I think they put out one like about every two years, pretty like regularly. <laughs> but this is the first one without uh, Damon Johnson, who I guess was one of the founding guys in that uh, group. If you're familiar with him, right? Yeah. Uh, but he had left to kind of do more solo stuff. So I was kind of on the fence. I'm like, well, I really like Damon Johnson. He's kind of the reason why I wanted to listen to that group. And then, uh, so I gave it a shot anyways, because I still like their stuff. So I was like, I'll check it out. Ricky Warwick, that's his name, right? The the singer guy. Yeah, Yeah, the singer-songwriter guy. And it actually, uh, I kind of like the pre-release songs that they put out. But then the rest of it was really good. So I'm kind of like... Man, maybe I shouldn't have kind of... Wrote it off. Yeah, like wrote it off beforehand, because right. I think this is probably, maybe not their best one, but their best since the first album. And it, yeah. it didn't have Damon on it. I've never been a huge fan of these guys. I like them. Like, every record I listen to, I feel like it's solid. You know? Yeah. Like, it's a solid rock record. But pretty much every one of them I listen to at one time. And then I honestly probably never picked up any of their records more than once yeah that's kind of what i did with the uh last one i only listened to it once like i bought it on itunes yeah. and i was just kind of like nah, it was okay but the first one i still kind of go back to that every once in a while yeah. or at least a few songs on it i'll be honest with you i didn't even know damon wasn't on this record i didn't research anything i just assumed black star writers is you know ricky warwick and damon johnson so yeah. i didn't even realize he wasn't on this album oh, so yeah. you know 
And I like that dude. I mean, Brother Kane was, you know, cool band. And uh, he just, he plays around here a lot. Damon Johnson does. And I think Ricky Warwick and him have done an acoustic show around here. Yeah, like I've missed both of their acoustic ones. Yeah. But yeah, they've done that. It's been about two years. Yeah, and I played a show with Damon one time, and he was just the nicest guy. Like, he's just the friendliest, zero bullshit, doesn't act like a yeah. rock star, just fucking talks to you like a normal guy. I mean, yeah, I don't granted, know if most he, of them do for the most yeah. part, but, the, I mean, he just was an exceptionally nice guy. Yeah, like, I don't know if he remembers me, but he makes it seem like he does. He's like, hey, man. Like, yeah, and he right. even, like, shakes my hand before right. I shake his. Well, that's the way it was with me. Like, I didn't walk up to talk to him. Like, I'm always weird anyhow. Like, I don't want to ever come off like some douchebag yeah. that, oh, hey, I'm a giant fan, uh, you know, pissing myself and shaking and acting like I'm meeting fucking yeah. one of the Beatles or something. But... It was like that night we played this one show uh, down there at the Twisted Spoke, and he came up to me. It was the same thing you're saying. Like he just came up and was like, "Oh, hey, man, you playing tonight? Hey, I'm Damon. Nice to meet you." It was just <laughs> fuck, cool. Yeah, okay. I mean, and he's a mega fucking beast on the guitar. You know, the guy can shred, can sing. He's got a great voice, and I think he has like a pretty big cult following you know I think people just goddamn love Brother Kane <laughs> like that rec- those records came out like years ago and people just still love them and I don't know why I'm spending so much time talking about Damon Johnson because apparently he didn't have anything to well, do with well it kind of felt like it was his <laughs> band though it kind of yeah. seemed like it was his thing and then he right. like left yeah that's why I said I didn't even know I mean I just you know this isn't exactly a band that is you know on the on the radar, like, I mean, even, like, Blabbermouth, they touch on about every kind of band, you know, and I don't remember seeing anything about him leaving this band. Yeah, because over here, they're not, like, like, big at all, like, and they'll usually play, like, um, like, we went to Rascals, that's kind of the stuff they'll play over here, but I think they did open up for Judas Priest. Yeah. Last year. But then, um, yeah, they go, because I guess they're still linked with Thin Lizzy. Right. And so they're pretty big over in Europe, and they'll, like, headline over there. But here, they're kind of, like, you know, playing to, like, 100 people. Right. Yeah, because both those guys, both Damon and Ricky, were in Thin Lizzy, right? Yeah, yeah, right at the end. So was that that how they started this band, or? Yeah, because I guess I first saw them in, like, 2011. Well, it was another Judas Priest tour. It was Judas Priest... And then Thin Lizzy was opening up for him. But I guess, I think it was Damon and uh, Ricky and that Scott Gorham, uh, who's a big Thin Lizzy guy. And I think they had a keyboard player and maybe the drummer from Thin Lizzy. But then they actually wanted, um, the three main guys, Scott and Ricky and Damon, actually wanted to write new music. But they're like, well, we don't want to taint the Thin Lizzy legacy. We'll just kind of, right. with our new music, we'll just make it its own thing. Which I'm glad they didn't. So then the other two Thin Lizzy guys, they kind of left. And they got, I think, two other guys who have since left. It's funny because the Thin Lizzy thing is still pretty evident on this record. Yeah. I thought, like, the third song, Ain't the End of the World. That one, to me, like, the vocal phrasing and everything is just total thin lizzy you know like yeah you can tell that that their time in that band definitely influenced 
you know, the, the writing on here and stuff. Yeah, I thought that too. And the same with, I think it was Under the Afterglow. It had some kind of keyboard, organy kind of thing in it. And that sounded oh, yeah. a lot like Thin Lizzy, or at least 70s rock. It did. You know what's funny about that one was that was the one that reminded me, dude, I thought he sounded like Gene Simmons. Like he started singing, and I was like, God, he sounds like Gene Simmons on this song. <laughs> Which I'm not, I mean, it's whatever. I'm indifferent as to whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Some people might be completely turned off by that. I thought the opening track was cool. Tonight the Moonlight Let Me Down. Yeah. Kind of Rick Springfield is what it reminded me of. It reminded me of some of the like early 2000s Rick Springfield stuff that he had put out where it was kind of modern, you know, modern produced hard rock pop kind of stuff. And then that the second track I thought was really cool, like one of the better ones for me on this album, that uh, Another State of Grace. Has yeah, kind of I the think, Irish fighting song opening thing, yeah. like, and then it sound and it sounds like Trans Siberian Orchestra playing like an Irish fighting song or something, you know. <coughs> yeah, that was the first one. I guess was like the single was that song, and I oh, kind of well, thought like, it had I that too. That. Like it had the big Irish kind of yeah. vibe. I thought that. Yeah, that was a that was definitely a standout for me because it kicks in. And you're just like, fuck yeah, <laughs> go pound some pints and punch somebody in the face <laughs> yeah yeah I, another one that stood out for me was I don't know um, your thoughts on it but Soldier in the Ghetto I, that was yeah yeah I thought the has the clavinet thing kind of Stevie Wonder-ish yeah or I was kind yeah. of thinking like there's a song from The Scream or something I I thought of that song because it had that uh, organy kind of presence well you got the better uh, word for clavinet Something. Yeah, that was I think the the but instrument it used. That song. I'm trying to think of what song you're. You're it's talking really, the Karabi, the Scream record. Yeah, like I had to go look it up, and it was a Tell Me Why. Oh, okay. Like you almost want to get up and like dance to it. I guess I'd have to go back and listen to that because I just don't yeah. remember there being that in there. But yeah. but yeah, that was that was a standout track for me, man. It was just a just a cool, you know. It just had a cool groove to it and everything and. You know, some of these other songs didn't really grab me a whole hell of a lot. Like the last song, Poisoned Heart, was it was one of my favorites on the whole record. It was really weird because we got, you know, the second track, Another State of Grace, really was one of the standouts for me. And then a few songs later, Soldier in the Ghetto, another standout for me. And then it kind of like the next few songs, they're kind of... Okay, I didn't. I didn't like the. Uh, Why do you love your guns? Oh really? You know, I thought. Okay, dude, I know what you're going for. I mean, whatever. You know, we're not politically gonna agree on this anyhow. But it's fine. I don't have to agree with your point that you're trying to make as long as the point you're trying to make is conveyed in a well-written song. I didn't feel like he executed it well in writing this song. Hmm. I listened to it and just the whole thing. I felt like he came up with this really good title, you know, and he had a really good idea, and then the rest of it just really falls short of you know. Like it, he probably could have had a great song with the chorus yeah. and that that line, "Why do you love your guns?" 
more than your kids or whatever the yeah follow up yeah. line was. Like it's pretty witty, but I feel like he came up with that and was like, "Oh, that's so powerful," and then just did not write a good enough song to surround that with. You know? Oh, really? Because uh, you know? that one, like, as soon as I saw like uh, the track listing for the album. Because I had listened to the two pre-release ones beforehand, but then that Friday when it came out, I saw that "Why Do You Love Your Guns," and instantly I was like, "Oh shit!" You know, because wherever they go with that song, they could like alienate like oh, yeah. so many people. Because you know that like rock and roll fans are pretty much, you know how um, rock and roll fans are or something. They're probably gonna be gun owners or not the like. Crazy motherfuckers like me with an arsenal in my closet. <laughs> yeah, or something. Well, I don't no, know. I, I mean, it is what it is. Like, I guess I'm not. It's some of the rock and roll fans. They're so like maybe not narrow minded, but a lot well, of them they, are just like yeah. they can write people off. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, like, like I what guess you're that's saying, what I mean. So, like, see, the thing is, is, I'm a gun owner. I don't know where I was going with that, but I guess I just saw that title and I was right. like, shit, they're probably going to alienate some people. But I thought they handled it really well. Like, with the lyrics, they didn't really, like, condemn anyone. No, I mean, it wasn't like... So, I mean, I, I wasn't offended by it or anything. Like I said, I own a bunch of guns, and I've grown up hunting, shooting yeah. guns, blah, 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 okay? But even if the point you're making in the song completely... Like, I just completely disagree with what you're trying yeah. to say. If it's well written and I feel like it's a good song, then yeah. I'll listen it. I'll listen to it. It's a good song. Like yeah. I don't agree with your point, but you're executing it well, you know. Yeah. But with this, I just felt like, eh, it's not good enough of a song to be effective to yeah. what you're trying to do with it. That was my my opinion on the matter, you know. But I mean, let's face it. Everybody's kind of jumping on the bandwagon of trying to right on one side or the other. Like right now it's a very divided country right and left and you got people that are just like they're going out of their way to pick their side and use their art or whatever to reflect their beliefs and some people are really good at going out and doing that, you know, presenting their ideas and their beliefs and everything. With their art, and some are just really bad at it, you know? I mean, Ted Nugent, he should probably just shut the fuck up half the time. (laughs) I mean, I'm not a big Ted Nugent fan anyhow. Great guitar player, like his music. You would think I'd I'd side with him, but the fact of the matter is the guy's a fucking wacko. I mean, I guess that really doesn't... I don't know. I don't listen to enough of his music, so I don't know if he even like presents his political beliefs mm. in his songs. I just know that when he talks, he does, and probably should fucking tone it down a bit, but to each their own, I guess. Um, but I guess the point I was making was, you know, I feel like this song falls short of the potential it had. So, I don't know. Not much more to say about uh, that. I'm afraid I'll go off on some other fucking. Oh, because there was some <laughs> interview. There was an interview with that Ricky Warwick, uh, where he was going track by track uh, through the album. Yeah, and it was actually a podcast, and I 
even though like we're doing a podcast now, I don't really listen to podcasts, but I thought I'll check this out because I skipped, I tried to skip ahead to that song because I wanted a little bit more of kind of like a backstory on that song. And I think, I can't remember the shooting. It might've been Sandy Hook, but it was something where like a whole bunch of like little kids got shot. Right. I think that was Sandy Hook, but was Sandy Hook like, I don't know, was that 10 years ago now? It was a while. There was some uh, school shooting at like a middle school or grade school, and he said he wrote a poem or something. Well, then for this album, he just went back to the poem and tried to make a song out of it. So maybe that's why he said it didn't really fit, because maybe it was like he already had this and was trying to like put music to it or add new lyrics. Yeah, I mean, it seemed forced to me a little bit. I don't know. But I tried to not worry too much about that you know like I said I whether I believe in the yeah. the point that they're trying to make or agree with them or whatever it's just I just want to like the song I don't give a fuck yeah. you know what it's about I mean there's plenty of songs about drugs and doing coke and all kinds of shit I don't do that I listen to right like yeah. <laughs> I'm an 80s I'm an 80s cock rock guy you know yeah. that's like my guilty pleasure meet, meet me in the ladies room yeah I mean there's just all these songs that I listen to where it's like I don't really have any part of that or no jack shit about it and I still enjoy them for what they are so I don't want it to be taken the wrong way like oh I don't agree with this guy's view on you know gun yeah. control so fuck this song I just didn't like the song. Um, but then, like like I said, the point I was getting at was I felt like the next few, like this, the second half of the record, there just really was nothing for me except for the very last song, which reminded me, it might be my favorite song on the whole album was the last song. Oh, really? Because you said you like long titles, I think, and I thought you might like that one, In the Shadow of the War Machine, because it's kind of a cool title. longer. Cool riffs. I like the riffs yeah. on that song. But it was kind of one of those where, you know, I liked it, but... Yeah, I kind of feel that way, though, too. Like, the first five songs, like, maybe it was front-loaded. Like, the first five songs are really awesome, and then it did kind of uh, taper off, but... Poisoned Heart reminded me of the helicopters. Something about the tone, like, the guitar tones and stuff. Like, it was very helicopters, and I'm a big helicopters fan. So, you know, maybe that's just why I am leaning towards that one being my favorite. So... But yeah, I would just say, you know, to sum it up, it's just a solid rock record. Yeah. I don't have much much yeah, more to say too, about it. Basically, yeah. I was like, um, it was good because I listened to that one. Like, I listened to uh, what the high, um, the high Women in the Car, but I listened to the Black Riders a lot more when I was, like, jogging or working out. So I thought right. it kind of fit that. Yeah. Did you, like get any serious gains while listening to it no No, like any muscle mass or Uh, or... no like look at me do i have any muscle i'm just saying i I maybe you know maybe that would be like a an extra added bonus like we could tell people look man if you listen to the black star writers record you'll get all cut yeah Yeah. well yes we did or um, i did so buy this album yeah buy the black star writers record and you will uh look like chris hemsworth when you take your shirt off yeah. It looked like Thor. Maybe that's what the guns he was talking about was. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, Andy, I'm thinking 
We need to find out who makes these Arnold Palmer spiked drinks. And, uh, and just get them to sponsor We need the to show. get them to sponsor the show. I'm trying to find the brewery, and I can't. Oh, Hornell. Hornell Brewing Company. La Crosse, like Wisconsin. Chili? Or is that Hormel? Hornell with an N. Yeah. Hormel's the chili. We could see if they could uh, sponsor <laughs> it, too. Although I'm not sure that we want to sit in my basement and eat chili. Uh-huh. That might, uh, I don't know. We need to we need to pick up some sponsors. So, you know, a little bit of ass-kissing right now. Arnold Palmer spiked half and half. Stuff's really good. 5% alcohol. I'm more of a beer guy. Andy's more of a poolside... <laughs> soccer mom drink kind of guy <laughs> yeah he's into the foo-foo drinks but he brought these last time and i tried one because i like Ar- the arnold palmers you know i'm a i'm a fan and these are good these are really fucking good so they're thing. too good they are too good andy's a lightweight so by the time we're done with this episode i might have to scrape them up up off my floor i'm not sure not that we're drinking while we record this. I mean, what kind of fucking hacks would do that? So, what were the dates these came out? The 6th, right? September 6th was Iggy Pop as well, right? Iggy yes. Pop released the album Free. And this was not on our list until I was listening to it and I text Andy <laughs> and I said, Hey, look. We have to fucking do this record. Like, I got just a few songs in and just started dying. Like, we have to. You know, and I'm not a big Iggy Pop fan anyhow. I mean, I'm not not a fan. You know, some of the classic Stooges stuff, Raw Power. I mean, cool record. Lust for Life is a classic song. I mean, he's got some punk rock cred here, right? Like... He's not one that I've been a big fan of, but, I mean, he definitely uh, has made his fucking place in the music world. My now. only frame of reference is he's always shirtless, but he's, like, uh, kind of ripped. Yeah. And then there's, like, I want to be your dog. I want to be your dog, yeah. Uh, but mostly I know him from, I think, that show on Nickelodeon, Pete and Pete. He was, like, somebody's dad on there. Wow, I didn't know that. So yeah, that's like uh so so I was expecting something totally oh. different than what this album actually was. <laughs> yeah. Well, even yeah. I mean, I heard the last that last record he did with uh Josh Holm from oh, Queens of the Stone Stone Age. Yeah, I I didn't I don't think I listened to that album, but I remember watching they were on Austin City Limits. And I watched that episode, and they played all that stuff from that record. And it was okay. I mean, I didn't, like, obviously I didn't rush out and buy the record because I still don't even know if I've heard it. But but it was, you know, what you would expect from Iggy Pop. And this was just not even fucking close. Like, the first track is some weird... In, like atmospheric instrumental kind of thing with like him just doing the spoken word like he just keeps saying I just want to be free and there's there's like this yeah then there's like this was it alto or soprano sax I don't know saxophone solo thing like it was cool I mean it's like 
kind of a jazz record, like. Yeah, it was like really jazzy, and I was like, I thought this was a punk guy. Yeah, but then it kind of what's that guy? Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. It almost sounded something like that. He got weird on this one. There's no, uh, <laughs> there's no fucking denying that. Uh, Love's missing. The second song was kind of the one song where it was like, you know, okay, this is cool enough. Like. I guess yeah. it's it was the closest thing to a song that you could just sit and enjoy and not shake your head at or laugh at or, you know. <clears throat> like, it was a pretty straightforward song. It's got kind of the, you know, driving drums and bass and the horns kind of come in at the end and there's this weird tension that they build. And I thought it was pretty cool. And I thought, okay, maybe this is picking up now, you know, because the opening track's kind of just this artsy-fartsy spoken word thing over this jazz piece. And then the third song, what was it called? Somali or something like that? And it was kind of just another atmospheric thing with spoken word. And it was like, oh, okay, I see the theme here, I thought. And then the song James Bond comes on, <laughs> and that's when I text Andy, like, fuck, we have to, like, this is the most ridiculous fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> the James Bond song just, I want to be your James Bond. Like, Yeah, like, I thought when you fuck? said in the text, you're like, yeah, this James Bond song. I thought it was just going to be like the James Bond theme song, like it would but he, like, like, rocked it out or something. or something. But, like, no, then he's like, there's some line about, uh... Her, her nuts melt in your mouth, not in her hand. Yeah, <laughs> and then mean? says it like literally. Then like one line later, says something about M and M's. Yeah, and one of my <laughs> one of my favorite ones. He says she trusts no one, not even herself. Makes no sudden moves. Chalks it up to stealth. <laughs> what? <laughs> what in the fucking hell? She I wants mean, to be a James Bond. It's a it's a quirky just man. <laughs> I don't even know. Like you just have to hear it. I don't even know. I mean, we both just sang the fucking thing, and it pretty much sounds just like just like the song. I always see something about some song made the list of a thousand songs you need to hear before you die. This is probably one of those. Yeah, you probably <laughs> you need, need to. to it. It's and and he I don't know, it's I was kinda confused, like I was listening to it and you know, he keeps saying uh she wants to be your James Bond or whatever, then by the end of it he's saying, So let her be your James Bond. So I was like, is this Iggy doing like female empowerment? Like <laughs> yeah. You know, why didn't they ask Iggy to be in the fucking High Women? (laughs) He could, yeah, he could have contributed, right? Like, he could have put this on there, and maybe the song would have been better if he wasn't singing it. I don't probably still know. That might just be the the uh, spiked. Throw some Amanda Shires like violin on there. Yeah. Uh, it was an interesting song. It was ca- it is catchy. You can't really deny that. Like it's catchy. By the end of it, you're kind of tapping your foot and you're singing. <laughs> yeah. You know, she so let her be your James Bond. But it was kind of like he's like saying, you know, by the end of it, it's like, hey, look, just come on, man, just let her do it. Just let her be the man. Let her wear the pants in the relationship. That's how. 
that's how I felt about it by the time it was done. But, as if that wasn't fucking hilarious enough, right after that, there's a song called Dirty Sanchez. <laughs> I wasn't even sure I was going to be able to get the song title out. And, you know, the thing is, the horn is this thing comes on, and the horn part in the beginning is, like, fucking epic as hell. So it starts yeah. off, and you're just like, oh, shit, this, this is actually going to be badass. Well, then the lyrics start. And I don't even know. There are just some weird, 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 weird moments in this. I'm trying to, I've got the lyrics pulled up now. So here's one lyric. Because if there's no more slaves today than there was yesterday, then you got to be fucking kidding me. Words don't mean shit to society. Now grab a whip like you grab your heels so that you know just how it feels, but you probably figure I'm being kinky, but you totally think we're being kinky. (laughs) (laughs) You desensitized sluts are always playing with your butts. (laughs) The things you do for the camera, the online porn is driving me nuts. Trying to implicate desires. They are not my desires. I mean, the guy, is he's rhyming the fucking word with itself several times in the song. And then he goes, okay, this is where it gets really fucking great. Just because I like big tits. Now, keep in mind, there's like a, there's like a, uh, what do you call it? Where basically like the lyrics are saying back to him. So it says like, just because... We like big tits, or just because I like big tits, and then right after that, just because I like, or we like big tits. It's like call and response. Yeah, like a call and response. There's like some, I think it was like female vocals in there. So every one of these epic lines is followed up with a response <laughs> of, of these female vocals calling it back. So anyhow, just because I like big tits doesn't mean I like big dicks. <laughs> Yelling rich man make it stop. We don't all want the cock. <laughs> and really, there's nothing, you know, after that that's too uh, too epic yeah. compared to that. I don't even know. I think we should just stop recording and end it on that note. Yeah. Because what the fuck else are we going to talk about <laughs> now? I think that... Uh, we could talk about arm hair and... And Legos. We could talk about arm, hair, and Legos. Yeah, nobody listening will know the context of where the hell that came from, but it was just possibly equally as weird of a conversation. But, but yeah, I think the moral of the story is I think Iggy needs help. I think maybe he needs put in a home. Like it's time that his people stop lying to him. And, uh, you know. Then the next song, I just, you know, it was called Glow in the Dark. And I just thought, God, this guy's so fucking weird. He probably glows in the dark now, you know? <laughs> I stopped taking notes after that. I just put, what the fuck did you have me listen to? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you got to admit, like, it was worth it. Like, you needed <laughs> yeah. to listen to it. I listened, I, yeah, I stopped taking notes, too. I tried, I listened to the rest of the record, and I just started scratching my head and skipping along, and 
it was uh, it was a very interesting journey, I will say. But hey, look, you know, just because I like big tits doesn't mean I like big dicks. Okay, that's the important lesson to take <laughs> yeah. away from this. Um, so I feel like moving on now. I don't know that I want to talk about Iggy Pop and his whatever the fuck that was. Uh, so I think that does it for the September 6th releases. What about uh, or from did September it? 13th now, uh, Tom Kiefer, Tom uh, Rise. Tom Kiefer Rise. This was one that, you know, it was a long time coming, yeah. I was ready for this. Yeah, because I think that last one, that was like six years ago or something. It was a while, and that record took him... My understanding was he spent like a decade writing that record. Um, Cinderella had kind of broken up. I mean, they haven't really been active. I mean, he's gone on record in interviews now saying that there will never be another Cinderella tour. And it's sad because I, you know, everything I've read just all uh, points towards Jeff Labar being an alcoholic and having a. You know, I mean, that's a serious problem, and it is sad. I'm not going to sit here and poke fun at that. Um, but that pretty much, you know, was... Tom has put the nail in the coffin, I think, with Cinderella and just saying they'll never tour again, and they're done, which is a bummer. I'm a big Cinderella fan. I, love, I mean, I've seen them a handful of times, and every time I've seen them, I mean, they just fucking blow the roof off the place, and Tom Kiefer is just like no other when it comes to being a front man from that era. I mean, I've seen a lot of those bands from that from that era, you know, and a lot of people feel like it was always unfair that Cinderella was summed up as a cock rock band, you know, or a hair band because they're such a good blues, you know. Tom Keeper's a great blues player, and they're just both him and Jeff Labar are both great players, and... um so you get like the super fans that cry and whine and say, "Oh, you know, Cinderella's not a band." Well, they—I mean, they are by default. They came out in that time and they had big hair and they dressed like fucking girls. <laughs> you know, so you know, unfortunately, they kind of were, but they were a great fucking band. And once that died down, that whole hair band thing, they were still a great band. So that uh. That Tom Kiefer, was it The Way Life Goes? Yeah. Is that the name of the yep. uh, solo album? That one, like, I only liked half of it. Like, some of the songs were either really good yeah. or they were, like, it was kind of a pop. Okay. Like, yeah, and it wasn't, record. It wasn't a hard it wasn't rock, even a rock record. Yeah. Um, album either. But this one actually is. It sounds right. like a lot more like uh, Cinderella. Well, I think. Uh... I think that what happened with this record, my understanding, just because, you know, we know Tony Higby, who plays guitar yeah. in his band, and he uh, said something along the lines of this record being more of like the band's record, being the result of the band being on the road playing these shows. And... Um, just becoming a unit and then going in and recording these songs and writing the record together. I mean, I'm sure Tom probably wrote, did the majority of the writing, but I know that 
when we because you and I went up and saw Eastside Gamblers like yeah. a couple months ago or whenever it was back and, in the spring and Tony was talking about the record and recording the record and I had asked him because I just thought well okay you got like Tom Kiefer like I couldn't imagine being in his band you know that'd be the coolest fucking gig and I guess I just assumed like oh he probably came in and was like oh here's the songs I played guitar on everything you know here's what you need to learn to go out on the road but it wasn't the case at all like he came in with songs I'm sure and I think his wife writes with him like I think him and his wife write a lot of this stuff together and I think that was kind of the deal with the last record too but but it sounded talking to him like the band went in and recorded as a band and put their parts in and had their you know it wasn't at all like I just figured it would be you know um but so I think that's probably why this record sounds like it does, and it's more of the because you got like he put out that record and then went out and toured, and yeah, he played a handful of songs from that first solo record, but he probably was playing mostly Cinderella stuff. So this band probably like got really tight at playing those songs and those kind of songs. That was the bulk of the set. So I'm sure that yeah. that influenced writing and recording this record, which is probably why this ended up being a fucking rock record like the polar opposite of the last record i thought <coughs> but yeah like that first song what was it uh the death of me the was death like of the me, single yeah. i kind of thought it was just okay i was like yeah eh, it was all right it's heavy like it was cool because yeah. it was you know but that first song like touching the divine man i thought that was like the best song on the album and like it fucking throws down. Maybe not the man. best song on the album, but it would totally like it kind of blew me away because it sounded more like Cinderella than even uh, the Death of Me and anything on that last album. Right. It just right out of the gate, and I was even thinking about it too. How like I was saying like Taylor Swift or something like she doesn't always have like a good like hooky like opening track. Right. But then that Tom Kiefer one, I was like. I think I said something like, well, rock albums, we're used to those going right out of the gate sometimes, guns blazing with a good song. Right. That actually was like a perfect example of something that I thought was like a really good opening track. Because it's got that kind of distorted kind of vibe, and it had some vocals, and then it just, boom, goes in with this guitar. Yeah. Like, was that steel guitar or something? I don't oh, know. Oh, is there some, yeah, there's some slide in it. I mean, Tom's yeah. a really good slide player. So yeah, it just I'm hooked sure me like right down all over this thing. Yeah, see, it was weird for me because the opening track and I man, that was this was the one that came out Friday where I was you know the most psyched to listen to it. So I get to work six a.m. I've got you know only two sips of coffee down the hatch, and I've already got the earbuds in. And I got this album fucking up and going and. So maybe it was too early the first time I listened to it, because my first listen, I was kind of like, it didn't seem catchy to me. It was cool that it was rocking. Like, it was definitely, like, kind of raunchy. and Yeah. But then, like, I was almost kind of thinking, like, ah, it's cool, and I like the raunchiness, but it's almost kind of messy sounding. But then... See, I like that. Like, I'm going to use one well, of your phrases. It knocked my dick in the dirt. It knocked that your dick in the dirt. That first song knocked my dick in the dirt. I'm not going to lie. Well, the second time I listened to it, yeah, I actually was like, I didn't feel the same way about it at all. So that's why I say, like, I don't know yeah. if I just didn't have enough coffee 
Yeah. I don't know if my brain cells weren't fucking functioning yet. <laughs> well, it was six in the morning. Well, it was pretty early. Maybe it was just too much. Too much, man. Stimulation overload. I have no idea. But it was, yeah, I the first song's cool. Um, you know, the the death of me, I, I thought it was good. I mean, it reminds me of Night Songs a little bit, like the guitar in it reminds me of Night Songs. Um, probably not my favorite on the record. I actually thought Hype was the first one where it was like, oh, what the fuck? Like, this is heavy. Like, that guitar is almost like a corn riff or something. Sounds all fucking tuned down and uh, just a cool song. That one and the next one, Untitled. Yeah, I thought one of the. I thought one of those. I can't remember. Uh, one of them sounded like totally like Appetite for Destruction. It might have been Untitled or Hyper, something in the middle. I was like, man, this is like good probably noise. Untitled. Yeah, at least I would think more so than Hype, because like I said, Hype to me, the that guitar riff was. I I don't want to say corn. Maybe I'm just yeah. thinking that because that's another one of the albums on our yeah. list this week. But waiting on the demons that like the third song yeah yeah that's a ballad it's like the first ballad of the batch and i thought it was just kind of like eh. like it grew on me the second third time i listened to it i was like ah i like it a little better now but it still just wasn't my favorite thing i felt like it was placed maybe too early in the record yeah you know yeah because see that's kind of the thing i got i got like from this album um um what i took away from it is like it basically said what it needed to in the first three songs. You had the boom, the opening track that's like distorted and cool. You got kind of like the mainstream Rocky song with the death of me. Then you got the ballad, and basically the rest of the album was kind of just repeating that yeah, formula. Like repeating that. Yeah, you're right because then it's two heavy songs, and then Rise, which was a ballad because you got hype, Untitled, both rock songs. Then you got Rise, and then I think the last song might have been a ballad too. I thought that was one of the... That one? Yeah, the last song was really cool. Yeah, that's probably my favorite ballad. And um, Taste for the Pain, I thought, was pretty good, too. As far as the ballads go, those two were solid. The other two I could live without, to be honest with you. Rise, just maybe too cliche for my taste. I don't know. All Amped Up, that one, I thought was really cool. That was like... The fucking rock anthem, you mm. know? That was the one that... It's like, I could see, like, if that's not in the set list when he plays live, I'd be really surprised. Uh, Life Was Here. Another solid rock tune, you know? I don't know, it's weird. I like this record, but yet... I don't feel like I have a whole hell of a lot to say about it. Me if I don't have a lot to... If I don't have I a lot liked to, it, but yeah, I liked it. I wasn't blown away. Like I don't feel like spending a bunch of time talking about. Maybe that first track. I just liked it too much. Yeah. They set the bar too high. Like they high blew their wad way too soon. Yeah. You know, there, I mean, there's great. It's, you know, it's fucking Tom Kiefer, and you know, Tony's no slouch on the guitar either. That dude's yeah. fucking badass. You'd have to be to be in Tom's band. So the guitar playing is great. You know, cool riffs, great slide work. The songs, I kind of feel like there's, you know, some solid songwriting, and I like it as a record, 
but yet now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, there was nothing that just blew me the fuck away. Mm. You know, I mean the first track's cool, all amped up. Like I said, it's just like a fist pumping rock anthem kind of thing, and hype is a really cool like one of the heavier things he's probably ever done. You know, I did see there was some uh, there was some post on Facebook, and this goes back to our side conversation we just had earlier I guess that wasn't recorded but you're talking about Facebook comments and sometimes the the poison of reading them but yeah there was somebody well the Numa guy I guess uh, saying that's the greatest song ever written oh yeah that <laughs> fucking dipshit <laughs> now this was uh, some post like uh, some page like Rock Rage Radio or Blabbermouth yeah. or one of these pages that I follow posted something about this record about the Tom Kiefer album and I don't know if they just shared like the video for the death of me or what the deal was but people were just commenting on it and commenting on it and I felt bad because it was like the comments weren't very positive like most of them were like oh the vocals sound like shit it doesn't sound like he's got it anymore and I thought are you fucking deaf like he sounds the same like it sounds like the lead singer from cinderella like people were bitching about him going into like the 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 kind of scream thing that he does like that voice his fucking voice you know like oh going into that and it sounds like shit and he should have just sang normal on this and it's like but that's cinderella like that's it's the fucking singer from cinderella yeah did you ever listen to him like he sounds just like he fucking did yeah, because that was the thing that kind of like I never really was totally into Cinderella because of that guy's voice, you know. Because sometimes he kind of sings and sometimes it's like got that kind of like it's the acquired yeah taste, gravelly man. wail. But yeah, yeah, but then it does it fits a lot of the music, so it's kind of like um, even like people say Dave Mustaine sucks at singing, but he's not really singing. He's like his vocals he's fit doing. the music, right? Yeah. So so as long as it fits the music, I'm fine with it. Yeah, but I mean, dude, anybody that says they, well, I mean, there might have been people, I guess, but, you know, the first time you heard Guns N' Roses, did you think, oh, that guy's a great singer? First time Mm -hmm. you heard ACDC, did you think, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you never heard anybody sing like that. Yeah, it's got, like, attitude. Yeah, and so the first time you hear it, it's not, I mean, I'm a big Motorhead fan, and I'm not going to sit there and tell you the first time I heard Lemmy, I was like, oh, this fucking guy's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. I it, I don't know. I don't know when I really got or what, like Tom Waits. It, That's a good example. Or Tom Waits, <laughs> yeah. I love Tom Waits, but you know what? First time I heard Tom Waits, I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? I mean, some stuff, it just... I don't know. It grows on you. I don't really know what it is. Like, you don't get it the first time. Like, your your ears and your brain don't process it the very first time you hear it. And, I mean, I'm a big Cinderella fan. I've been a fan for well over a couple decades now, you know. I was pretty young the first time I got into them, and I probably didn't like his voice the first time I heard it. I probably thought, oh, what the hell is this guy doing, you know? I think I had heard, like, the Nobody's Fool, you know, where he's kind of singing and it's the ballad. But then you go to the rock stuff and it's like, ugh. Right. You know, it's like cringe. But but then I get 
you hear it enough, you get used to it, and it kind of works. Yeah, it's just a different voice, man. You don't hear it. You've never heard it before, and so you don't know what to think the first time, I guess. I don't know. I felt like this was a solid rock record. Yeah, definitely. I don't have too, too much more to talk about on that. I think the other the other one we got is uh, what the corn corn yeah. put out a new album, which I don't know about you, but like I've never been totally into corn, but I think I want to like them more than I do because they were kind of like I'm a few years behind you, and I think you are more into some of the hair metal bands. And when I was really getting into music was the late 90s when new metal was, right? Uh, you know, the popular rock. So so that was kind of my coming of age or something. It was like this new metal. So right. it's not really the best genre to get into. And I never totally liked Korn. Like, I liked, like, Freak on a Leash. Right. And what was that? Got the Life. Like, I like those. So I bought the album, uh, Follow the Leader. Yeah. And I didn't like the rest of it. I liked what was on the radio. So I think... Then the last 20 years since then. I've always liked their radio singles, but I don't like the album tracks. Yeah. And I've seen them live now like four times. And usually they've been in an opening slot and they just play those radio songs. So they come out, play the hits, they're in your face. And it's like a really good like way to hype you up for the show. Right. They got 40 minutes and they played just the hits. And it's awesome. And then, so, like, I guess I've wanted to like them more than I do because they're good live and they've got good, right. like, hooky songs. So I think this is only the, it's like, second album I've bought, but I just really liked it. I don't know. Maybe it was, like, the Tool thing where I was kind of, like, I was kind of hyped up for it because I wanted to like it and give it a chance. But then I was kind of opposite of Tool because I actually did like it. Right. Well, yeah, I I actually liked Corn back when they came out. I thought, you know, fuck, these guys are heavy. They were cool. They were yeah. really different. I saw them on the Follow the Leader tour. Oh, actually, really? they were with uh, Rob Zombie. It was kind of like a co-headliner thing. Oh, cool. Was um, that like Madison or Billy? Was that? No, it was up in Moline at the uh, whatever the hell it was called at the uh, time. The Mark. Mark, yeah. Mark of the Quad. But they were, you know, it was, uh, I really wanted to see Rob Zombie more than I did Corn. I liked Corn, but, you know, this was the first Rob Zombie. It was Hellbilly Deluxe. And so it was cool because he pretty much had that and White Zombie stuff. So the set was just like solo song, White Zombie song. Solo song, White yeah. Zombie song. So it just alternated. Oh, cool. It was just badass because that record was solid. And then, you know... So it was basically like a lot of Astro Creep. Yeah, for the most part it was, yeah. I think there was only like two songs he played maybe off uh, Less Exorcist. But And then Korn came out, and I mean, they were, uh, they were good. I don't know. It was so long ago now. It's like I kind of remember the mix just sounding like shit. And they came out for an encore and did uh, Earache My Eye, which is like the hidden track, the Cheech and Chong thing. Like, yeah. You know? And they all, like, Jonathan Davis played the drums, and Fieldy was singing, 
and the drummer was playing bass, and then Head and Monkey were still on guitar, but it was like they did this whole instrument swap thing. And it was just like the stupidest closing track. I was like, that was the dumbest fucking encore I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. Like, it was it was just moronic. It was fucking stupid. But, but it was an earache. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was pretty much. But, you know, I did, I mean, I, I don't really go back and listen to that album. I don't really go back and listen to Korn at all, to be honest with you. I really liked the first two albums. Um, Life is Peachy sounded like shit. It was produced terrible, and I, but I thought it was kind of those guys at their best. And uh, Issues came out after Follow the Leader, and I really liked that one a lot too. And then they kind of lost, they slowly lost me after that, record by record. See, I think the ones that I kind of like are the ones that you're going to say where they lost you, because actually the one that sticks with me, uh, See You on the Other Side, where I think the drummer mm-hmm. left. Yeah. So they kind of just had fill-in drummers, and the cover um, had like, the like Alice in Wonderland kind of. Yeah, shit. it's like yeah. really stupid, and I was like, "What the fuck is this cover?" But I really like uh, "Coming Undone," and I like "Twisted Transistor" because they got just some kind of groove where they're doing something different. Um, yeah. Maybe it's more mainstream. Yeah, I don't know. There's one that's really heavy on there that I don't know if it was a single, but it's called "Liar," and then one called "Love Song." And around that time, I think why I like that. Um, album more is they actually had an MTV unplugged and I was like what Corn doing an MTV unplugged like Jonathan Davis Sounds his vocals fit that like how we're talking about <laughs> Lemmy and Tom Kiefer his vocals fit that heavy aggressive right. rock but if you strip it down it's not going to sound good it's kind of going to kind of expose him as a weak vocalist yeah. but I got the uh, CD from the radio station when it came out and it actually blew me away like I like their MTV Unplugged because they did a kind of thing where they stripped the songs down but they also kind of did it in a way that Alice in Chains and Nirvana did they kind of changed some of the arrangements and yeah. added in like extra instruments so they really embraced they like cellos and stuff didn't they yeah they really embraced that kind yeah. of like stripped down sound and there was they did something. I forget what song they did. It might have been. They mixed some song with a love song from The Cure, and they had Robert Smith like singing on it, and that was really good. And they did Freak on a Leash with like Amy Lee from Evanescence. And I know I've I'm heard going, that. Real, yeah. I'm going really off the rails because we're talking about the new album, yeah. but now I'm yeah. not talking about it. But I like that they did that. That one. Maybe other than See on the Other Side, that's uh, the one I like. It's yeah. the MTV Unplugged album, which isn't corn. But going with the new album, yeah, this is one that I like. I bought it on Friday, and I listened to it. Like, I couldn't wait to listen to the whole thing when I got home. It almost felt like it took you on a little bit of a journey or something, too. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was it was the best corn album I've heard in a while but I haven't listened to the last few in their entirety but it had stuff that intrigued me just when I listened to the like a week ago before it came out listening to the songs that they kind of pre-released I thought that cold song was you know it's fucking heavy I mean I was like this yeah I felt like it was the heaviest thing I'd heard from them in a long time (coughs) and uh, so I actually kind of dug it didn't expect to like any of it and I don't 
necessarily like the whole record, but, you know. I thought the intro track was kind of weird, you know. It was like every characteristic from Korn's past. Like, yeah, bagpipes. one thing and, and crying yeah. at the end. Why? Or whatever the yeah. fuck he's whining about. I mean, I've... <laughs> yeah, it was kind of... It was a little much. Yeah. Like, A okay. cliched Korn. Yeah. It was, it was like it was a parody of themselves. And I'm not sure, maybe it was intentional, because why the hell was that just like a short opening track that wasn't even really a song, you know? And then the whole rest of the record kind of is not like that. Yeah. Other than I think there might be one other song where he's crying or something, I don't know. I guess he just gets really into it. And <laughs> when he's recording, he digs up some demons or whatever. Yeah. I'm not sure what the deal is, but... Um, I kind of dug into some of that, though, because... Uh I bought it, and I was looking at uh, the album credits, you know, who, like, wrote the songs. And um, I noticed that right away, like, uh, three of the songs, um, including that opening track, said, written and performed by Jonathan Davis. So that one, the closing track, and one in the middle were all just him. And so... uh, I think I was talking to Jim Glass's son, um, Griffin, and he had said that this was the first album that Korn cared about in years. So I was like, so he said that, <coughs> and then I saw Jonathan Davis did some songs on his own. So I was like, well, I wonder what um, uh, the backstory is on this. So I looked up the backstory on Wikipedia. It said his wife had passed away. So he didn't go to therapy, but this is his, like, therapeutic way of dealing with his wife dying. Right. So he actually was crying and saying, like, why me and stuff, and that was stuff that he just kept. Hmm. Like, I guess he broke down crying in the studio, but he thought he'd keep it on the album because it was, like, uh, it was raw or something. Right. So, yeah, like, it does kind of sound weird, like how we were saying it's kind of cliche because I heard the bagpipes and I'm like, yeah, that's corn. But then I'm yeah. like, well, okay, you know, it kind of makes sense, I guess, if this is his, like, release or something. Well, <clears throat> now I guess I feel like a dick for mocking the whole why thing. I figured, I mean, I know his wife but, passed away yeah. and all that. I didn't know that. I didn't know. Like, I don't yeah. really uh, keep up with them. Yeah, I mean, okay. I don't want to make fun of the guy or anything. It's just yeah. to each their own. I I guess some people would be like, oh, that's, you know, so brave putting yourself out yeah. there like that. And Me, I'm just kind of like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to. Like, it sounded forced. Or yeah, something. to me, it just didn't sound legit. Yeah, like, at first when I heard it, I kind of thought the same thing. You know? And he's known for, I mean, like, there were songs on earlier records, I think the last song on Life is Peachy I believe kind of ends with him like crying or something like breaking down you know but that song was actually a cool song I think it was Kill You but I mean you know this this album has some uh, some heavy moments I mean that idiosyncrasy song kind of has like the death metal vocals going on yeah I thought so too and the chorus I thought was pretty cool but you know I thought the verses could be better on that 
Like, I thought the verses were just kind of okay, but everything else in the song was really fucking cool. And then I kind of liked the line where it goes into the bridge and he says something about God is making fun of me. Yeah, like, I kind of like, thought that too. Like, I don't know if I wrote that down to highlight it. But, like, a lot of the songs did kind of have that. They were kind of the same in a way. Right. Like, the structure was all the same. Like, the heavy, yeah. like, down-tuned, like, verse. But then the chorus has that hook where he's got right. some kind of cool chorus hook thing. And every song is kind of the same way. Right. Or something. Like, I kind of picked up on that. Then there's always the breakdown in the middle. Yeah. It's definitely old school corn. Like, yeah. the first record even had that stuff. The thing that bummed me out about this was I thought it would be a cooler song if when he goes into that breakdown and the bridge where it, he's saying, God is making fun of me. I don't remember the next line, but... Um, and then it kind of builds up and kicks back in and yeah. he's singing that same line over and over again. I thought that should, just should have been the end. Like They should have just gone mm. out on that. Instead, they go back into the chorus and then it was like, ah, uh, kind of lost its cool. Like It lost its <laughs> edge because it just went back mm. to where it already had been. And it just didn't, I don't know. I felt like the songs, the couple songs before that, You'll Never Find Me, I didn't, is that like the single? Because I didn't. That one was the single, the first song, and I actually really liked that one. I think the three that they released ahead of time was You'll Never Find Me, Cold, and I think uh, Can You Hear Me Mm. or something. So I liked all those three. So that's kind of why I was like, at first I was kind of like, well, it's probably typical. I like the three that they released, and I probably won't like the rest. But then I did like the rest. Yeah. I'd, I think I kind of like the rest. Other than Cold, I like the remainder of the record probably better than those songs. I thought You'll Never Find Me sounded okay, but it didn't didn't bring anything new to the table. Oh, yeah. Seduction of Indulgence I thought was kind of cool because it was kind of creepy. And then he's kind of doing that, saying those lines at the end about licking me, raping me, skinning me, <laughs> stabbing me, touching me, or whatever. It's weird. I just think this guy really wants people to fuck with him or something. Because like, he says something in there, too, about that. Like, why is everybody fucking with me or whatever he says. And then I felt the final track, the final track, the title track, Finally Free, I felt like that was really just kind of blah. Oh, see, I liked Finally Free. I'd probably maybe put that as yeah. being one of the I thought that highlights. Can You Hear Me? It was just kind of okay. I guess maybe I was just trying to find something in this where, you know, was different and strayed from the formula and all the stuff that kind of got weird I thought was better than the other stuff, you know. Like Ringmaster I thought was had some really cool things in it. Like it was kind of this weird... We had the beatboxing thing and the breakdown. I thought, well, it's kind of corny, but, you know, fuck it. Corny. Something different, yeah. (laughs) Corny with a K, huh? Uh, Gravity of Discomfort, I thought was a cool title. But then, like, the song didn't really live up to Mm -hmm. it. I was like, oh, that's a cool title. That should be a good song. And then it wasn't. And then they had that harder song. Yeah, that's the only one I thought was kind of weak, was harder, was the weak... Yeah, I mean, the symbols are cute and shit, but, you know, Prince did that shit years ago, yeah. and it was cooler when he did it. But uh, The one thing that kind of, maybe why I like this a little bit more maybe than you did, was because I remembered something from, 
years ago, like how I said I kind of came into music with the new metal era. And one thing I remembered was Jonathan Davis. He produced the soundtrack for this movie, Queen of the Damned. Right. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. But he produced the soundtrack. The Vampire Chronicles. Yeah. Being, uh... And I think there might have been four or five songs that he wrote for that album, but he had different uh, vocalists. Like there was one song that had Chester from Linkin Park, yeah. one that had Marilyn Manson, one that had Wayne Static, and one that had Dave and Draymond on there. And those are pretty good. And then they kind of had some like stuff just thrown on from other bands or right. something, maybe just contractual like label things or something. But the meat of the album was the four that he wrote and then had other singers on there. And I thought that a lot of this album had the vibe of those songs on there. Like, I really liked the one with David Draymond. I can't remember the name of it. The song on that soundtrack. Yeah, the Queen of the Damn thing. And I thought a lot of this album, maybe that Can You Hear Me, sounded like that Queen of the Damn thing. So, like, I had almost kind of forgotten about that soundtrack until I listened to this album, and it kind of took me back to that. (laughs) So maybe that's why I might have liked it more, because I kind of liked that. Uh, 16-year-old Andy or something was kind of like, yeah, that's kind of (laughs) cool. Right. Yeah, I mean, I didn't hate it. I mean, I liked it better than I expected to. Yeah. You know, I could throw it on, and I could like the bulk of it. I could enjoy listening to it enough. You know, I thought the last song was really funny because I was listening to it, and it was called Surrender to Failure. And I'm like, ah, this is cool, man. I dig it the drums and the atmospheric instrumentation. And then as I'm listening, I'm like, wait a minute, something's wrong here. (laughs) And then I realized, God damn, dude, he just like ripped the downward spiral off, like ripped Trent Reznor. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, dude, go back and listen to it. And the drums are so much like the song Eraser from the downward spiral. And then at the end, there's like this weird, like distorted piano thing and then you realize it sounds exactly like the piano thing at the end of Closer and it just fucking ruined it for me I'm like no wonder I like it it was already on a fucking record (laughs) you took you took like one of my favorite industrial records of all time and you just took some of the coolest parts and ripped them off in one song it's like well no wonder man (laughs) you know you basically just wrote the fucking rewrote a couple Nine Inch Nail songs, Cramp made like some weird like mashup between two Nine Inch Nail songs and put a different fucking title on it and sang over the top of it. Well, shit, I'm like like singing the praises of this album. Maybe after we're done, I need to go listen to some Nine Inch Nails. You probably do. It's a great record. I mean, I didn't hate this record. I liked it enough okay. There was stuff on it I liked. Would I rather listen to the Downward Spiral for the 400th time probably I'd rather just listen to that than this one again but I can't say that I won't listen to it I mean like I said like that uh, closer Jesus Christ now I'm talking about Nine Inch Nails again but um, Cold I thought Cold was a cool song like I was hopeful when I listened to that song I was like thinking to myself okay Maybe this corn record, it won't be so, you know, painful to listen to. Yeah. And it really wasn't. So, will I drive down the road and crank it in my car? Probably not. I don't know. Like, I didn't buy it. 
you know. Um, I can't because somebody stole my ox cord this morning. <laughs> Andy had his car burglarized. Well, I don't know if it was really burglarized. They just trashed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he did leave it unlocked. So yeah. what can you do? But so yeah, I think that as far as the new releases, that kind of wraps that up. I think yeah. the only other things that really came out were, you know, some reissues. There was the Cult Sonic Temple box set thing. It was like five CDs. And I'd like to thank Amazon for not shipping me my fucking copy. <laughs> I don't know. I had like an email a week ago telling me that it was delayed and I didn't really read the email. I just thought, whatever. But I'm not sure when I'm going to get it. Hmm. But there's some good stuff on there. I mean, it was, you know, I can't honestly say that I made it through the whole thing already because it just came out a couple days ago and we had a lot of stuff to listen to and review and talk about, you know. But it's five disc full of, you know, some unreleased songs. Some of the stuff I'd heard before, I mean, there's been uh, some, you know, B-side albums that they've put out over the years with just all unreleased material, so... Not necessarily all of this is brand new to somebody that's a fan that already has some of those collections, but... Yeah, because I guess what, it's the album, then like at least two discs of the demos, yeah, a live disc, and then some kind of like edits, like radio edits and acoustic stuff. Yeah, there's... Because I didn't go through all of it either, but I tried to sample like what I could. There are like 15 different versions of Firewoman. Yeah. I'm kind of exaggerating, but like, seriously... I haven't listened to them all yet, but I mean, it was cool. That was the one thing I hadn't heard. I hadn't heard the other versions of that song. So, yeah, because there's what? There's the Firewoman regular, then there's Firewoman that's like rock mix, then there's something that's called Fire, then there's Firewoman demo, and then yeah, there's, there's a live one. There's so the, there's one on every disc. The Fire with Woman in parentheses. <laughs> It's just the exact same mix, but they just yeah. fucking put the... No, I don't know. I didn't... Yeah. I, I mean, how many times can you listen to the one song and remember what each detail was to the... But yeah, you're right. There's one just fire, one fire with woman in parentheses, and then there's like three other different fucking mixes of fire woman, and there's some different... Versions of Edie, which is, you know, great song. There's some uh, Messing Up the Blues, which is a cool acoustic blues tune. And Medicine Train, a couple unreleased tracks. Uh, Bleeding Heart Graffiti, I've heard that one before. Actually, I, I believe I've heard Messing Up the Blues before. I can't, this is a band that has... So many B-sides and alternate versions of songs that I can't even... I can't keep track of what the hell I've actually heard. I mean, I'm a big fan. I'm not mocking them or making fun of them, but, you know, I'm looking at this box set at the track listing, and it's like... And even listening to it earlier, I was like, I don't even... Like, I'm pretty (laughs) sure there's stuff that I know I've heard, but then 
some of it, I'm like, yeah, I think I've heard this because they had like, God, like when Electric came came out, you know, there was Electric the whole, piece. yeah, there was like the whole deal where they recorded that record and then whatever they fucking just shit canned the record, hired Rick Rubin, brought him in as a producer and they re-recorded everything and. And then Electric came out, and that was the version everybody knew. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, there was this whole other record that was never put out, and then those B-sides, or those versions kind of leaked out as like a, not B-side, but there was like an unreleased, I don't know, I can't remember what the collection was called, but they put out like a, like a rarities collection. And it had a lot of those versions. Like, there's a totally different version of Love Love Removal Machine and some of those songs from that record. And then a few years ago, they reissued the record, and it was called Electric Peace, and it has, like, the two yeah. different versions of the <clears throat> album on there, and yeah. Uh, there is one thing I'll say, and I don't know if I've ever told you this, but, like... I have beautiful eyes. Yeah, uh, I, I Thank you. I first heard of the Colt, like, 20 years ago, because... Uh, the WWF, like Steve Austin, was the champion. Right. And for some reason, they put out some CD, and it was called Stone Cold Metal. But it wasn't like metal. It was all like classic rock. So like how I was saying at the time, 98 was like Godsmack. Right. And corn and stuff. So, this was so probably... I was kind of into that. But then the CD came out, and I was a WWF fan. So I'm like, all right, I'll get this um, Steve Austin CD. But it had like uh, Kiss Got a Thunder on there, The Colt, Rain, and like... Was it Rain, really? Yeah, Rain was on there, and it had Def Leppard on through the night, so it really wasn't a lot of the hits from these bands, but it was like, it's like really popular classic rock bands, but it wasn't their hits. And even like... Rain was technically a hit, but not... Or not one like... It's not like a long-living... Yeah. She sells Sanctuary, that's almost like a tongue twister. It is, especially when you're drinking. But uh, but anyway, so the thing was, is like, I was kind of into that CD, but I wasn't into it because it wasn't what was cool at the time. But like, nobody at, nobody I ever knew for like the next 10 years ever talked about the cult until I met you. And you were like, yeah, the cult's this awesome rock band. I'm like, holy shit, here's somebody else that actually likes the cult. So like, I don't know. It, it was kind of cool how you're like my one friend that liked the cult that I never really. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know. I never knew anybody else talked about the cult. I'm always out there waving the flag. Yeah. For uh, the cult and rock and roll. Now, I, you know, it's a band I haven't seen live. They haven't played this area since the Beyond Good and Evil tour. It was like no. 90. 2000? 99, 2000? No, it would have been 2000, 2001, I guess. Anyhow, long story short, they played the Madison Theater downtown Peoria. My parents had their 30th, I believe, 30th wedding anniversary? Or 25th. I don't know. They've been married a long time. They're old. But <laughs> but anyhow, I couldn't go. You know, and this was back when concerts were fucking cheap, dude. It was like ten dollars hmm. for a ticket. It was two nights in a row. Buck Cherry played there. Buck Cherry and Monster Magnet played Friday night. The Colt played Saturday night. See, it's the same thing. Nobody talks about the Colt. Everybody like people still talk about the Monster Magnet 
the Buck Cherry show, but never ever talks about the Colt show. I didn't know people talked about that show. Uh, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying they saw a monster uh, magnet here in town. I just talk about the Colt show because I fucking had to miss it. Thanks, Mom and Dad. But, I mean, I guess, you know, I was happy to be there for them. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it was, it was crazy because it was like something just to put that into perspective of how uh, concert tickets have just skyrocketed in price. Yeah. I mean, dude, it was $10 a ticket, okay, for each night, or it was $15 for both nights. Shit. And there was, like, something crazy, like, six bands playing Friday night with because it was Monster Magnet, Buck Cherry, and then there was, like... So it's probably, like, a... There were, like, three other bands. Something. I don't think it was. I don't know who. I don't... Maybe... I can't remember, but maybe Rock 106 okay. was still around at that time. But, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was cool. That was a cool show, and I really wanted to go see the Colt, and I didn't. And then they've played, you know, Chicago a handful of times since then, and I just haven't gone. Uh, I really I wanted to go to the Electric Anniversary Tour they did, and I didn't. And I, they're doing the Sonic Temple 30th anniversary tour. I should probably just finally fucking do it and go. Not enough time in the day and in the week to get everything done I want to do half the time. But I should probably break down and finally see these guys live because I've been a big fan for a while. And it's just one of those bands, dude. You know, and I don't want it to end up being like Motorhead. I was a big fan for years, had tickets to see him, you know, and something always came up. And like, damn it, my son's got to be... Born. Yeah, twice in a row, dude. Both of my kids, well, I have three kids, but the last two kids, I should say, you know, got in the way of their births, yeah. got in the way of me seeing Motorhead. And then, like, a few months after my son was born, Lemmy died. Yeah. And I'm like, motherfucker! See what you did, son? You made me miss Motorhead. I had tickets and everything to see him in St. Louis. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, but he was canceling shows then, too. So it's Well, like you... he didn't cancel that show. Well, so it was up in the air until, like, the last yeah. minute. Yeah, it was one of those things, man. He pro- it probably wouldn't have been that great. Because he wasn't in, you know, great health. But I still would have liked to have just been able to see him to see him. So, point of my story is uh, maybe I need to go see the Colt before I, you know, Ian Asbury fucking croaks. And, uh, or Billy Duffy. Or Billy Duffy, yeah. I mean, they're, you know, that's just a great band. Their last couple records have both been great. Uh, Choice of Weapon was a badass album. I thought Lucifer was, you know, one of the coolest songs they'd put out in a while. And, Hidden City was a really cool album. That was just great. Front to back, it was just a dark, just a different kind of record. I mean, these guys aren't really afraid to just do what they do and not need anyone's permission. Like, they probably don't need to fucking do this Sonic Temple anniversary thing, you know? Like, maybe they are cashing in just to make some money. Yeah. I don't know, but... But I'm glad they're doing it. It was a cool box set. I can't wait till I actually physically have it in my fucking hands, Amazon. There was even something that came out on Friday, too. Or actually, two things came out on Friday that kind of 
um, almost pulled me away from the main albums that we were going to talk about was Alice Cooper put out an EP that I forgot about. I ordered it earlier in the summer, but I thought it was going to come out later in the month, like the 28th or something. But it came out on Friday, and it was basically like a bunch of covers from Detroit rock bands that they kind of did with musicians. Like I think one guy from MC5... One guy from Grand Funk or something. So so we had that. So I listened to that right away on Friday. Then um, then Ghost put out a seven inch. So those kind of took away from the Tom Kiefer and the Corn right and uh, the Colt thing. So I kind of had to squeeze all this stuff in. So this was this was a good like I guess week uh, for music I guess or at least yeah um, for me anyways. So I thought there was almost, like, too much to talk about. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's going to be some stuff coming up in a couple weeks. I don't remember what's on the radar, but my memory is shit, so go figure. Yeah, I know there's Blink-182, the 21st. I know there's Alter Bridge at some point, but I forget. Yeah. Yeah. But it's probably time to just uh, sign off. Yeah. And... Thanks for listening again. Thanks, Brent, for hanging out. Hey, thanks, Andy. Been yeah. nice having you. Yeah. Uh, thanks for letting me drink your Arnold Palmer's. Hey, thank you for introducing me to the Ar- Ar- Arnold Palmer's. You get to drinking too many of them, you can't say the fucking name. So anyone interested in drinking these, remember, so brewed by Hornell, Hornell Brewing <laughs> Company. Give us a fucking sponsorship, right? There was some fucking money. License right. under the authority of Innovative Flavors, LLC. There you go. All right. Fucking see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>